During the Sunday nights of June and July, I have asked for different members, different pastors on our staff to come and preach and share God's Word. I've done that for several reasons, not the least of which is the fact that God has clearly blessed our church family with men who can preach. And they need the opportunity to do that, and we need to hear what they have to say. And what God is, is sharing in, in their minds and their hearts, uh, we also need to be a much, very much a part of that. Uh, the very first Sunday I was here, I think was late November 2012, my first Sunday really just as a guest speaker. And I was here on a Sunday morning and experienced the worship at Wynn Baptist Church. And I remember going back and commenting on it to Gail that particular Sunday when I went back, uh, telling her, you know, that's a worshiping church. And there's a heat, a supernatural heat in that congregation. And she knows what I mean by that because we don't see that or experience that everywhere that we've been. And as I went around the uh, state traveling with the state convention for 10 years, I had ample opportunity to be in a lot of different worship services and be a part of how different men prompted congregations to worship. But I was particularly struck by how God was using David Bertishaw at Wynn Baptist Church. So much so that as I got to know him and as I got to be a part of further services at Wynn Baptist Church, uh, I went through several uh, permutations. One of those almost immediately uh, was I went back to the state convention offices and I said, you know, they have a wonderful worship leader at Wynn Baptist Church. And then as I realized a few months later that God was calling us here to serve, I stopped telling them that. <laughs> it's not because he got worse. <laughs> it's because we didn't want to lose him. And, um, and so I think one of the things I'm most impressed with David, aside from who he is as a person and his love for his family and his kids and that sort of thing, is he is a man that is after God's heart. He wants to please the Lord in all that he does, and particularly in his service among us as one of our pastors here at Wynn Baptist Church. Uh, I know he has prayed, but I'd like to pray for him, and then we will listen as God speaks through him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this dear brother. Thank you, Father, for his ministry among us and for bringing him here in your wisdom. Father, as he comes and shares your word, we pray that your spirit would fill him from head to toe, that his thoughts, even now, would be filled with your thoughts, and that as he speaks and shares your word, that his words would sink deeply into our heart, uh, not particularly because of his ability or his talent, but because your Holy Spirit is anointing him and planting those words deeply into our soul. Father, this is your time. Anoint your messenger, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse number 18. While you're turning there, I would like to praise the Lord publicly for my mother and my father, who even now at this moment, that's very moment in Montgomery, Alabama, are renewing the vows on the anniversary 50 years in marriage. 
And so I praise the Lord for my father, Ray, and for my mother, Jane, and also for my mother and father-in-law, Bob and Iva Scott. They are four of the reasons that I love Jesus. Luke chapter 9. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said... The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is the word of God. Father, Would you anoint by your spirit and give us ears to hear your voice? And would you help us to obey? Our flesh is weak. Help us, Lord. Nothing in our hand we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. In the name of Jesus, amen. And all the people said, amen. If you were to ask the typical person in Wynn, Arkansas, do you love Jesus? Do you know what they would say? What would they say? Did you know that if you walk up to any man, any woman, any teenager, any boy, any girl, any college student, any person employed, unemployed, black, white, that side of the track, this side of the track, east, west, all the way from parking, all the way up to Cherry Valley, do you follow Jesus? Do you know what you would hear The vast majority of the time, 
Yes. But what does Jesus say is required to follow after him? Jesus sets the standard. Everybody understand, say amen. Jesus sets the standard. Not mama, not daddy, not grandmama, not granddaddy, and not church. Jesus sets the standard for what it means to follow after him. In Luke chapter 1, Luke lights the fuse to a stick of dynamite. Say dynamite. In Luke chapter 1, he starts with the announcement that John the Baptist is on his way. Why is he on his way? To make mom and daddy happy? Well, sure. But he's assigned a specific task that when he gets here, he will prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. In chapter number 1, the angel comes and announces to Mary that you're going to have a son and he will save his people from their sin. The fuse. Are you with me? Then Zechariah comes. That's John's daddy. Zechariah comes. They said, you're going to name him John. He argues. He can't talk anymore. The baby comes. His mouth is open. He said, this son is going to proclaim the salvation for his people. Chapter 2. The angels come and announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. In chapter 2, Simeon gives praise to the coming of the Messiah. In chapter 2, Anna, the prophetess, affirms his coming. In chapter 3, John preaches and many are baptized, making way for the coming Messiah. In chapter 4, the devil himself in the wilderness says, If you are the Son of God, because he knew. In chapter 4, Jesus announces that the scripture is fulfilled. I love this. I'm just going to read this real quick. This is not, this is not, we don't have time for this, but I'm going to read it anyway. This is really good. Jesus goes into the temple and it's the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. To preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down and said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In chapter 4, Jesus drives out an evil spirit who acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah. In chapter 5, he not only heals somebody's 
body, he says your sins are forgiven. Of course, people are bent out of shape because he says that. In chapter 7, Jesus demonstrates power over death by raising a dead man. They said, he said, sir, get up. He said, he's dead. He said, sir, get up. And the man gets up. In chapter 7, John the Baptist asks if Jesus is the one. And Jesus sends word back to him and says, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised. You tell him, I'm the man. In chapter 8, Jesus demonstrates power over nature. There's a storm, and, and Jesus says, shh. In chapter 8, Jesus demonstrates power over demons. In chapter 8, Jesus heals a woman that no one could heal and raises a dead girl. And then we come to chapter number 9. So much is going on. The fuse is getting shorter and shorter. And in chapter number 9, it's so out of control that the Bible says in verse number 7, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed. Because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life but Herod said I beheaded John who then is this I hear such things about and he tried to see him and the fuse now is about this long and after feeding the 5,000 Jesus When he was praying, ask his disciples, who do the crowds say I am? And they echo what Herod had heard. John the Baptist, Elijah, maybe one of the other prophets. Did you, did you notice that there are a lot of people hanging around Jesus? Have you ever noticed that? There's a lot of people hanging around Jesus. That's when you ask somebody in Cross County, do they follow Jesus? They say, yes, I follow Jesus. But where are they on Sunday? That's when you ask somebody in Cross County, do they follow Jesus? And they've been drunk on Saturday night. There's always a crowd. Some of the crowd even has the name of Jesus in, the, in their church. I won't call out any names. The church of, of, look, the devil and Jesus are not brothers. And we're not going to be gods one day with our own planet. Are you with me? The crowd represents the uncommitted masses. The crowd always has an opinion. And did you know what? Generally, our opinion stinks. Everybody say stinks. Yours too. After all the people had seen, the best they could come up with is John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. 
And now the fuse is this short. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, on behalf of the disciples, the Christ of God. It's been coming since Genesis 3, y'all. Are you with me? The devil came into the garden and he tempted Eve and she ate of the fruit. And then she gave it to her husband and he too ate. And through the one man, Adam's sin entered the world. But God said, there's going to come a one who will crush your head. And now Peter says, the Christ of God. Do you notice Jesus always makes it personal? It's always a personal thing. You remember this? There was a woman brought to Jesus. They were going to stone her. By the way, aren't you glad they don't still stone folks? I don't know about you, but I would be stone cold dead. That's not a joke. Praise the Lord. Where are the ones that condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree there, fella. I'm going to your house and get something to eat. Peter, do you love me? What did he say? Feed my sheep. With Jesus, it's always personal. It's not enough for Peter and the disciples to know what everybody else thinks. He asked him, what about you? Who do you say I am? It's the most important question in this word who do you say I am the answer that we give give has eternal implications this is a forever kind of answer In in verse number 20, Peter answers the question that Herod asked. Herod says, who then is this I hear such things about? And Peter answered in verse number 20, the Christ of God. But Peter's revelation was a gift from God. It's not because the other people were dumb. It's not because the other people were less privileged. 
the Matthew account of the same passage. And by the way, the students are actually looking at the same, the same question this week at student camp. The Mark, the Mark pass, same story from Mark. But in Matthew, says, blessed are you. The, you didn't figure this out on your own. The Spirit of God revealed it to you. If you know that Jesus is the Christ of God, can I, can I burst our bubble tonight and say, we did not figure it out on our own. Blind people don't see, deaf people don't hear, and dead people don't get up. Are you with me? But you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God who is rich in mercy. That's how any of us get it, by the Spirit of God. Of the Lord. God must awaken our mind if we're to believe. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter confessed, You are the Christ of God. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the chosen one. He is the promised one. Somebody should say, Amen. He is the one sent by God to rescue the people all the way from the beginning. It is him. After hearing and seeing and experiencing the Lord Jesus, Peter answers, you are the Christ of God. So that's the easy part, because every person in this room is going to say the same thing that every person in Cross County is going to say. Do you follow Jesus? Tyler, do you follow Jesus? Laura, do you follow Jesus? Dr. Connor, do you follow Jesus? I, I can go around all night and say that. So what did we just do? We had a pet rally. Pet rallies are great. Here's the rub. There's a price for following the person of Jesus. There's a price for following the person of Jesus. Salvation is a free gift from God, undeserved, unmerited, because God loves sinners, chooses us in Christ. But following Jesus requires obedience. Following Jesus requires obedience. In verse 21 and 22, Jesus told him, don't tell anybody. Why would he say don't tell anybody? He does that several times. Why would he say that? Because they had the wrong idea about what the Christ was, who the Messiah was. They had a, they had a political idea about what he was going to do. It was a political thing. He was going to overthrow the bad government, and he was going to put in a new government. Take the bad guys out and bring us, the good guys, in. And it wasn't time. Jesus didn't come for that kind of kingdom. Jesus showed up on earth, born of the Virgin Mary, to die. That's why he came. He came to die. Jesus died a penal, substitutionary, atoning death. 
Say that. Amen. This is why he came. Because you were supposed to die and I was supposed to die. Because I was born in sin and I sinned because I was a sinner. You were born in sin and you sinned because you were a sinner. You didn't become a sinner the day that you sinned the first time. You were born a sinner and so you started sinning because that's what you are. That's what you were. And so I should have died and you should have died. And all of us should have gone to hell. But Jesus stepped in to my place. Can I get a witness? That's penal. Did I get that right? Theologically correct there, Brother Don? <laughs> Substitute. Everybody know that word? What was Christ chosen for? He says, in verse number 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So what did it cost Jesus? It cost him everything. It cost him everything. He left glory and came to earth. The infinite became finite. So here's the rub. Verse number 23. Verse number 23. Three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. I don't have to convince anybody in here that we struggle mightily with denying ourselves. If you know the word selfie, raise your hand. Selfie? If I take my phone out, I turn on my camera, I go. Are you with me? That's a selfie. Look it up. It's probably the dictionary now. Selfie. Then what I'm going to do with my selfie? I'm going to put it on Facebook. What else I'm going to put it on? Instagram. What else I'm going to put it on? Twitter. What else I'm going to put it on? Huh? Oh, Snapchat. Yeah, Snapchat. Miss Betty Jones, do you put your picture on Snapchat? Miss Betty, I don't either. I don't either. I got 35 likes in three minutes. Are y'all with me? <laughs> I just put a new picture up there like it. I've heard that. I heard a kid say that. That stays in my house. Not Tyler. <laughs> We're a proud bunch. Amen.
We love ourselves. We love to talk about ourselves. We love somebody else to talk about ourselves. We love ourselves. Think back over the course of any day, any week, any month. How much time passes from the one time you think about something related to you to the next time? Let's be real generous and say 10 minutes. And here's how bad it is. It's not just stuff like that. We don't deny ourselves so much so that we think we can cooperate with God in bringing our own salvation. We think if I do this and this and this and this and I don't do this and this and this and this, then me and God working together, we're going to make everything all right. I don't have squat to bring to God. Dr. MacArthur, my time is almost up. Dr. MacArthur, in his commentary, he quotes uh, a fellow named Bill Britton, who I do not know, but I trust Dr. John MacArthur. I thought this was really good. It says, uh, this is what self-denial means for a Christian. I'm going to read you what Mr. Britton says, and I'm going to read what, what God says in his word. Listen to this. When you are forgotten or neglected or purposely set at naught, and you don't sting or hurt with the insult or the oversight, but your heart is happy being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, that is denying, uh, that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, your advice disregarded, or your opinions ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even to defend yourself, but take it all in patient, loving silence, that is dying to self. When you lovingly, patiently bear any disorder and irregularity, any impunctuality or any annoyance, when you come face to face with waste, folly, extravagance, spiritual insensibility, and endure it as Jesus endured it, that is dying to self. When you are content with any food, any offering, any... This is convicting. Any raiment, any climate, any society, any solitude, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never refer to yourself in conversation or to record your own good works or itch after commendation when you can truly love to go unknown, that is dying to self. When you can see your brother or sister have his or her needs met and can honestly rejoice in spirit and can feel no envy nor question God, while your own needs are far greater and in more desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly finding no rebellion or resentment rising up within your heart, that is dying to self. 
amen and amen. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is denying yourself. We must give up our self-promotion and self-satisfaction. Give it up. It is not about us. We must give up our self-delusion that by acting right and talking right, we can somehow manage to stack up enough good works to merit the kindness and favor and forgiveness of God. Give it up. Our righteousness is filthy rags Deny yourself and come to Jesus. Take up your cross daily. Verse number 23. We can't be confused about what it means to take up our cross. It's not our parents. It's not our kids. It's not our wife. It's not our husband. It's not our boss. It's not our employee. The cross we must bear is one of complete self-denial to the point where we can echo the words of Paul when he says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I need to close. Lastly, to follow Jesus means continual obedience. It does not mean walking down an aisle. It does not mean filling out a card. It does not mean having an emotional experience at a revival meeting or a camp. It's not walking with Jesus for 5 or 10 or 20 years and then doing your own thing. It is walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus day after day after day after day. Brothers and sisters... It is not enough for us to say that we follow Jesus. With our lips and with our lives, we must testify to his goodness and to his grace. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus. Father, we depend solely and completely on the finished work of Jesus. Nothing less than will do. Nothing more than will help. We desperately need 
for you to save us from ourselves, And by the power of your spirit indwelling us, help us to take our cross and follow completely after you. Lord, I pray for the men and women and boys and girls in the room tonight. I know that there is perhaps someone here who does not know Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that they would turn from their sin and they would place their faith and trust in the finished work of your son, Jesus, who died on the cross as a substitute for them was buried and resurrected so that they might experience newness of life, resurrection power, and glory. And Lord, I'm also completely aware that a bunch of us struggle with following you. And so we desire to surrender again to you tonight, declaring that Christ is enough Christ is enough. Christ is enough for me. Lord, move during this time of response. Save and satisfy. Help, provide hope. Whatever it is that brings glory to Jesus and good to your people, we offer this time to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.